Welcome to another episode of Grace on Tap. Grace on Tap is a podcast dedicated to the history and the theology of the Lutheran Reformation, all over a nice cold beer. Okay, um, today we're, we're going to continue our discussion on Luther's Winter Postal. Um, this is, uh, is going to be a little bit different than what we've done in the past. Usually we have a little opening, we give the historical background. This all has the same historical background. So, so we're not going to, this is, we said history and theology. This is going to be more theology for quite a while as we wade our way through the, the winter postal. You can go back to episode 66 and hear the introduction of what the church postals are. But here's a, a simple explanation of what a church postal is. The title Church Postal includes the various homiletical writings of Luther. That word homiletical means sermons. And it has been developed at various times throughout his career, beginning in 1521. And then throughout his life, he would edit the postals and have different editions. Luther referred to his published collection of sermons for the church here as postals. That word derives from the Latin postilla, which means after these words. It had been a title used in the Middle Ages to introduce a publication that has a section-by-section exposition of a biblical text. And by Luther's time, it commonly meant a collection of sermons on the annually recurring epistle and gospel text of the church here. So another way to think of this is just cheat notes for pastors as they're developing their sermons. And, you know, and so what Luther is doing, he puts these things together uh, uh, three verses. I think what we what we said last time was that these next three verses of the of the epistle from from Romans, um, Luther writes fifty pages on them, and so that gives any of these pastors in Saxony the ability to go and and pick and choose. You know, there's several years worth of material uh, right here in in this in this postal for that for that particular Sunday. So we are today going to work on the reading for the first Sunday in Advent, Romans chapter 13, 11 through 14. So according to Luther, this reading doesn't really have a whole lot about grace and faith, but is instead focused on how we should act as a Christian. Um, <clears throat> and so uh, it's in the reading, it says, uh, The hour has come for you to wake from sleep, and the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So all of this is is really you know one of the things Luther talks about is when he's going to go through these postals that you'll see a, a pattern. It starts out talking about grace. The first section is on grace or the theology. The second one is is well, first one is using Christ as our Savior, is looking at it from the view of Christ as our Savior. The second section that Luther will use typically, not always, is looking at Christ as a model. And then as the, the example, as an example, but he always wants to use that as secondary because he never wants us to see the gospel as just this is how Christ lived. Now you live like that. And if you live like that, you will be saved. Instead, he wants to see Christ as the originator of our faith. And then from our faith, our good works proceed. Right. And then the third section that he often has, I would say even the pretty much always has is what he calls the secret meaning or and that's more of an allegorical review of, of whatever the material is. And so he might talk about what light means, how light for a day and light in the gospel, or how in the night there's works of darkness and what does that mean to be in the darkness? And he'll 
they'll take it from the text to the metaphor to application. And that's one of the things that you know we talked about in episode 66 is that's that we in today's day and age after actually Christianity started out talking that way a lot went sort of off the rails and brought, pulled all sorts of crazy stuff out of out of these allegories and so there has been pretty consistently going back a thousand years or so, this desire to, well, we want to hold hold off on that, not do so much of this allegorical type stuff. But it was still popular in Luther's day. So Luther is a preacher of the 16th century that's coming at a time um, with the, maybe we might call it the Enlightenment, um, although Reformation, Enlightenment, Renaissance, they all kind of are not quite the same, but they blend over some of the same categories. But one of the themes of that time period was ad fontis, going back to the sources. Luther had looked at previous uh, theological writings, even as he was a lecturer at Wittenberg. And there was this pattern of academia, of very obscure theological lectures. And he said, let's just talk about the text. Right, right. Now, so now, talking about the text, Mike, I thought I'd read the text that ah, we're going to be talking perfect, about. Perfect. So this is Romans 13, 11 through 14. This in the one-year lectionary is the assigned epistle reading for that first Sunday in Advent. And it goes like this. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come to you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify, to gratify its desires. So Luther jumps right into this. And the first thing he notices is all these references to sleep and waking and all that. And, and he goes back through, through scripture and picks out, and he does this a lot. You'll see this as we go through the postal. He sort of goes back through scripture and will pick out, okay, what does waking typically mean? What does sleeping typically mean? And then take that meaning and put that into this text and try to understand. It's what we would say, letting scripture interpret itself. It's sort of seeing how these words were used previously and then using it to understand what's happening here. And so according to Luther, sleep signifies wickedness and unbelief while waking up and rising our works of faith and godliness. He then builds some parallels between sleeping and faithlessness. And I'm going to read through a couple things here. He says, a sleeper is unaware of what's going on around him and useless to everyone else. And then, and then the second one is, he's occupied with dreams and he is so foolish to believe they are true. Now, a faithless person, like a sleeper, is also unaware of all the good things God has offered him through Christ. Occupied with meaningless, transitory stuff like toys and power and prestige, they are completely unaware of the great gifts of God like eternal life, joy in the face of all suffering and salvation. So that's sort of this overarching discussion to kick off the, the Luther's thoughts on this. And then after that overarching discussion uh, on the basic premise of the epistle, Luther moves into the details. And so let's, let's go there with him. Uh, starting in verse 11, he says, For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. And what Luther's saying there is, uh, is that mostly just saying that 
that they first believed in the promise made to Abraham. Now they believe in the promise fulfilled in Christ. One of the things he wants to emphasize in this section is that we don't believe in a different faith, that we have a more progressive faith or a newer faith, but that there is a legacy of faith to faith or faith by faith is another spot he references from Romans chapter 117, saying that the old faith in Abraham's promise is now grown into the new faith in Christ. It doesn't uh, say the old was bad as much as now that we have Christ here, that which was built on in Abraham and, and throughout the Old Testament now is ours in Christ. One of the great things about Luther in this era and all through the postals um, is his his reliance on Scripture, and he's we're, this is that the, that we talked about it once before early in Luther's um, uh, career. He spent a lot of time referencing Scripture to back up everything. Just he said. building a strong foundation in everything he says to show that he's not just. Uh, coming up with these ideas on his own, but everything he's saying is rooted in scripture. So he'll make a point and then he'll build it up with multiple passages. And this faith to faith thing that you find in Romans 117 to back up his position that that we are that when we first believed it's a reference to all believers. It's not, you know, it's not and that we we had the first belief was in the promise, the second belief was in in Christ. So, yeah. so here's something else he says. He says, thus we, that is the fathers, like he, fathers, he means like the church fathers, those that have built up the church, the fathers and us have believed with the same common faith in the one Christ and still do believe in him, but in different ways. And that different ways is, what's, he, is where he's going to talk about the, the space for our works of godliness to show up. So let's move on to verse 12, which is the night is far gone. The day is at hand. And according to Luther, the day is is when our hearts and souls have been enlightened with the gospel. So we're no longer asleep. But going back to that, that opening, you know, we're no longer asleep. We're now awake. And according to Luther, aware of, and I'll quote here, the true eternal things which with which we are to occupy ourselves and walk honorably in the day. This is... Uh a fundamental character of what it means to believe in Jesus Christ is to believe right now I have the day of the Lord. I have all of the gifts of the kingdom of God here. Um, sometimes people would write about this as realized eschatology, that I am realizing right now the gifts of the end times. And one of the things that, you know, at least I was told years ago that it's been helpful to me is this idea that we as Christians live in one, one foot into, in this world and one foot in the next. So and we are awake. We are awake. We are awake as Christians. And then verse 13, Paul's going to give a laundry list of things we shouldn't do. We shouldn't act like we're asleep anymore. And so the text itself is, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. So Luther breaks all of that up into two groups. And the first group is going to be with the orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality and sensuality. And, and he says those are all sins of pleasure. Uh, and then the, there are other lists that Paul gives elsewhere. But, but these are typically sins done in secret, pleasurable sins that are done in secret. And so that's, that's the, the, but then he gets into the second group, which is uh, the quarreling and jealousy, which are sins of adversity and typically more public. So, so those are the, the two buckets that Luther says you can place pretty much, and we'll get through this, but a lot of 
our sinful behavior is either public or private. It's either it's either you know pleasurable. It's either sins of pleasure or it's sins of, of adversity. And that, those are the two big buckets that Luther points out here. So with the confidence that our salvation is near, that our day has drawn near, it's time to uh, cast off these works of darkness and put on weapons of light. And uh, he makes the contrast that the, the darkness doesn't have weapons. It has works that it does. But the true things, the weapons of the light, are the things that can make a difference. And uh, there he has this line. It is a spiritual time and hour. It has arisen and still arises in the bodily time in which we rise from sleep and cast off the works of darkness. And so Paul shows that he's not just speaking to those who are still in unbelief, but he's speaking to us. And I I think one of the things that I liked about this line, Mike, was this idea of spiritual time and hour has arisen and still arises in bodily time. That mixture of spiritual time and bodily time. That Think about how every day we have to wake up, as Paul, uh, I mean, as, as Luther explains in his explanation of baptism, that every day we have to drown that sinful old Adam and emerge a new creation in Christ. That there is a bodily time that we go through. I wake up, I start to think about what my days can be ordered by. Yeah, we're not just spirits traveling in this world. We're not, we are actually living beings with real responsibilities. Yeah, there's a bodily time that I go through. Yep. But that the spiritual time of being awake with the Lord should govern the time my body has. Right, right. So let's let's. Uh, you know, the next thing is on, in verse fourteen. Paul shows us how to fight these urges when he says, "Be but put on the Lord Jesus Christ." So what Luther says is to put on Christ in faith is the first thing. And this is sort of what we were talking about earlier. This is where we believe that all that Christ has and all that Christ has done belongs to us. So the first thing is when we put on Christ, we're putting it on in faith. Right, right. And so all of his, all of his good works, he has given to us, you know, in, in faith. You know, he has given his, everything he has, he's promised to us. And so in that faith that we believe him, we believe his words then we put that on. So when we dress ourselves in the virtues of Christ, which happens through faith, that means we are going to be relying on Christ's death and resurrection. Right. So to put on Christ is to put the one that is already victorious. Right. Right. So as you go through your bodily day, you're going to wear clothing and you're going to dress for the day. What does it mean to put on Christ is to dress with the victory that the works of darkness have no power over you. You are a part of what the light is doing. And, and you know, there, what that does, that's so freeing, right? That is so freeing because in Christ, Christ, we, we have all good things in Christ. We don't have to be clawing for things of this world. We can make room for others. We can make room for for, for the struggles of others, like Christ made room for our struggles. And this is all part of putting on Christ. All right, so now in verse 14, it goes on, and there is a little bit of a disagreement between me reading from the ESV about 10 minutes ago and how Martin Luther translates verse 14. So what, what Luther says here, uh, and, and I'll go through the Luther's translation for, and first, which is, and make provision for the flesh, but not to gratify its desire. So what's ESV say? The ESV says, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desire. So it's almost the opposite than that first the, phrase. And it's where the, the negation fixes. And so we're 
this is going to happen occasionally. Luther is working on his translation that um, we have in front of us. Make no provision for the flesh is the ESV. And Luther's is make provision for the flesh, but not for the purposes of gratification of the desire. I actually sort of like Luther's translation better. Yeah. Um, and we'll get into why. This is, this and, is, and where Luther's going to talk about here is that there's a, a necessity of self-restraint, but there still is a bodily care that we have. So what Luther is saying here, and he takes this opportunity to caution his readers against monastic life, but it's more than just monastic life. It's, it's you know, we put on, we just finished talking about putting on faith, you know, putting on Christ and, and faith, and that's how we start our day. What, what, um, what Luther is going to caution against is putting on piety, Mm-hmm. holiness you know where where we dress up like somebody who's holier than we are he describes it this way blind saints think that god's kingdom and righteousness consist in eating drinking clothing and lying down which they choose and they look no farther than at that work and consider that if they fast and if they make their stomach upset and if they have emaciated themselves then they have done well yeah, and he likes to go back to the Carthusians, and this mm-hmm. is something he talks about an awful lot. The Carthusians are still around. Um, I actually went to Carthusians.org or something like this. Uh, I went to their website to find out if they're still around and what they're up to. Well, they're they're doing pretty much the same thing they did in Luther's day. And there's 450 of them spread out all across three continents and 24 houses. They live in solitary silence, only meeting together three times a day for communal prayer. There are no guests, only seeing family once or twice per year. I actually think they loosened up. When I did some research on what the Carthusians were doing in Luther's day, they were even more rigorous in their, they weren't, you weren't allowed to see family at all or something. It was much, it's much worse. It's an old monastic order founded by Bruno of Cologne back in uh, 1084 in Grand Chartreuse, France. The Carthusians uh, required silence, labor, and quiet prayer. And Luther referred to them as the most intensive form of ascetic life. And if you would go to this idea of making no provision for the flesh and making no effort to care for your body, then what is the design? You, you can end up like a Carthusian, right? <laughs> and your piety, your righteousness, and everything you do would be based on your work and not the work of Christ. Right. But if we first put on Christ and the virtue of Christ and then let our life build from that, it's going to be something different than the Carthusians. Right. And that's why I really like Luther's translation that says, and make provision for the flesh, but not to gratify its desires. That's, that's so nice. That's a nice trend difference there. Well, let's take a break. I think it's, it's a good time to take a break and talk a little bit about our beer. What, so what, do we, what do we have today? We have the Altus Sportsman Copper Lager. Altus is an old brand in Detroit. Um, so Altus beer is a Detroit original, so certainly a Michigan beer, uh, born at the Tivoli Brewery at the corner of Mack and Herbolt on Detroit's east side. It was known as the beer that bewitches. That was their marketing plan in 1910. And uh, European trained brewmasters had modeled the brand after a refreshing European lager of their homeland that they thought was born for a Detroit boomtown. 
You know, I, I love this beer. This is this is a really, really good beer. It's a nice, simple beer. Uh, one website that I read describing this beer is it's the perfect dad beer. And I'm a dad. And so I was trying, I was I was saying to my wife, it's a dad beer. And she, what's what's a dad beer? I said a dad beer is when you want to go ice fishing and you want to grab a a twelve pack of beer as you go ice fishing. You don't want a beer that's heavy. You don't want a beer that's filled with a lot of uh, flavors. You want something crisp. Cool, refreshing. It's something you can you can bring to a bunch of guys, and everybody's going to say it's good. Yeah, you know, it, it's not. You, you bring bring a twelve pack, share it. Everybody's going to say, "Yeah, this is a good beer." Yeah, you know, it, it's it's not going to be like some of the more exotic beers we've had that are like, "Oh, it's terrible." Everybody's going to. There's no polarity on this. It no. should be nice, common road. Uh, so. The, the beer, uh, even in the 1960s, was a key Detroit brand. They had sponsored the Lions and the Tigers. They uh, they'll declined like a lot of local breweries did. But in 2016, uh, Eric Carwan-Pat launched an effort to restore the beer to its original glory. Uh, they turned to their friends at Traffic Jam and Snug, um, a Detroit brew, brew pub, uh, to try to create the flavor of this Altus beer. And they used a recipe that they didn't want to cut any corners. That kind of started to happen in the 70s that as corn syrup started to get brought into beers to make it cheaper. They didn't want to cut any corners, so they used 100% barley malt, 100% German imported hops. And uh, so it's a drinkable, local, Detroit-style lager that honors Detroit's beer heritage. I think I think this is going to be my, my beer of choice for, for a while. Uh, this is good stuff. So, cheers. Okay. Well, that pretty much finishes off the section on the epistle. And so, let's, let's just sort of review um, what Luther said. And it said, first in, in the Bible, sleeping is equated with faithlessness. Waking is equated with having faith in Christ. Um, another one is faith of the Old Testament is faith in the, the same as the faith in the New Testament. They're only different timing. The Old Testament looked forward to Christ. The New Testament looks back, both backward to Christ and faith, and also forward to Christ's second coming. In the Bible, Luther is going to point out that sins are typically, typically broken up into two groups, sins of pleasure and the sins of adversity. Both are overcome by putting on Christ. That means that first you have faith in him. Second, you reference him as an example. You do not put on Christ through your own works. You put on Christ through your faith in his virtue. And then the last section there was to, to live a, a moderate life, uh, encouraging people to express their faith through moderate living and to avoid the trap of thinking that a monastic life is going to be pleasing to God and, or, or some extreme life that I have to have an extreme life to be pleasing to God. And this idea of a postal being a section by section, an exposition of scripture that would equip a pastor to preach from this text um, shows that Luther also was looking for contemporary application. And so he's going to write about fanatical saints. He's going to be writing about the Carthusians uh, because that is the one of the issues that's going on in 1521, 1523, 1525, as he's editing these sermons. People are still trying to figure out if the monks and the, the ascetic life was celebrated, and now you're saying not celebrated, how is that possible? He's going to critique that ascetic life as a false righteousness. Here's right. how he closes this whole section. 
He says, these fanatical saints, however, fast one day in bread and water, then eat and drink to excess a quarter of the year, dead drunk every day. Some fast in this way. They do not eat in the evening, but they drink their fill. Who can list all the folly and works of darkness? They all come from regarding the works and not the use of the works. They turn the armor into a mirror and do not know why they fast or abstain, just like the person who carries a sword so he can look at it, but does not use it when he is attacked. That is enough on the epistle. That's how he finishes it. A simple sentence. That is enough. But his critique of the saints is interesting because he points out there's a duplicity. That every effort that we have in our human life to save ourselves by our works will always lead to a hypocrisy. Right. Because we can't, in our own efforts, become righteous enough. So we start to hide, or he'll talk about their binge drinking. And, and this is something that I had not thought about too much. But as Luther, as a monk, he would know that style of life. He would know that reality of showing the whole world your fasting, your contemplative prayer. He would know what's going on behind the scenes and the, the binge drinking at night that they would do and things like that. Luther's, I think, has a voice to speak on this because he's lived in that space. Right, right. And this is, you know, it is one of those things. And Luther does spend a lot of time going back and explaining. He does pull the, pull the sheets off, you know, and shows all that they're doing behind closed doors and, and talks about it and talks about what he believes to be the reasons for it. And in his mind, it always comes back to, like we said previously, it's when you get up in the morning, do you put on Christ or do you put on piety? You know, mm-hmm. do you put on, you know, or, 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 you know, just put on self-glorification flat out. But there's, you know, what are you, what are you putting on in the morning? And, and that word piety is a tricky one. There's piety, there's pious, pious and there's pietism. Right. So piety and pietism, as Mike and I have been talking about it, is that conviction and confidence that I am a believer in Christ because I have done all these good works and I can strengthen and support my belief in Christ, not by going back to the word, but by going back to my works. Pious works are those good and gracious works that we do in response to the faith we have in Christ. It's when it becomes an ism is when it's dangerous. It, 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 the way I look at it is that the, the good works that we do out of, out of the joy we have in Christ, those are good works. Those are truly good works. It's where we don't even think about it. It's just, we're just joyful in Christ and we're going and doing good things to help people out because we are so joyful in the love that Christ has, has given us. Yeah. Piety is when we are doing good works and it might look exactly the same. It might be the same things. You know, you have a good work by, by somebody who's rejoicing in Christ and a good work by somebody who's rejoicing in piety. But the difference is, is that that person who's rejoicing in piety is rejoicing in the fact that other people think well of them, mm-hmm. is, is rejoicing in the fact that God will think well of them. And that is, that is very, very different. And so you, you, we can't judge. We can't judge who's, who's putting on piety and who's putting on Christ. That's outside of our realm. But, but God knows. And as a preacher, Martin Luther is concerned with the person's soul. So as Martin Luther finished that sentence, remember what the last sentence of his postal for the epistle for Advent 1, it's this simple sentence. 
That is enough. On this <laughs> now we're, we move on to the gospel. We only have a few minutes. So the gospel for the first Sunday in Advent is from Matthew chapter 21. This is the Palm Sunday reading. And it may feel out of place to read that in Advent, but that is the traditional gospel reading for the first Sunday in Advent is Matthew chapter 21. And he's going to be looking at this text uh, in the same way as what we demonstrated before, um, that this gospel encourages and requires faith. It presents Christ. And then he's going to say, and in the pageantry and conduct of the disciples toward Christ and what Christ gives to us, we see an example of how we can also receive Christ. So what we're going to do is I think we're going to we're going to take a break now and then we'll be picking this up again and it would be good to start by reading through Matthew chapter 21 verses 1 through 9. So that's so how each we, one of these episodes that we do are going to be maybe a little bit briefer but they'll have a focus on one of these postals that Luther has written. We'll talk about it, we'll have our beer break, we'll get to a conclusion, we'll start to tease the next reading. And then you'll have to wait. In the meantime, cheers. <laughs>